I'm Mike. And I'm Adam. And this is Stuff and Waffle. Two friends talking about stuff, and often as not, waffling with frequent reference to Bond cars. I was having a think the other day. Uh, off the off the bat, easy, easy fella. <laughs> no one got hurt in the process. It's fine. Uh, off the back of I don't know something I was reading, and it there were quite a few good suggestions on this particular topic. Uh, obviously, all of these are quite personal because who would you class as your automotive heroes? Oh. Very good. Hmm. Yeah, that's 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 a good question. Yeah, there's there's probably yeah, there's a few. Mm, yeah, um, that's it. I I don't have a, one specific. I I do have a, a selection though. I would probably put Sir William Lyons up there. Mm-hmm. The founder for obvious of, reasons. For obvious reasons. The founder of what became Jaguar, mm-hmm. um, but was not to begin with. Swallow sidecars, I believe. Is how that, that, that was it. And yeah, then, then having a name like SS, that's not good. No, early 40s, no, that yeah. was not popular. No, <laughs> SS cars, that's no. I, that's going to be tough to market. Yeah. <laughs> we need to change this. <laughs> and he came up with Jaguar. So, certainly, so, yeah, you're safer with that. Yeah, let's, let's leave the whole SS thing behind for a bit. Um, Yes, I would certainly say, because again, he started from nothing, and the company that he built, you know, turned out at least for a while very, very well engineered, very well thought out products. Obviously, there are periods in their history where that hasn't been the case, but he was gone by then. Yeah, um, a few wobbles, yes. I'd certainly say Sir William Lyons. I would certainly say John DeLorean. Oh yes, controversial. In some circles, but I think despite how that ended, what he was trying to do was very admirable. He wanted a car that was sustainable and fuel efficient and safe and you know wasn't gonna rust away to nothing in no time at all. He he was very much fighting against the kind of planned in obsolescence that's very much or was certainly very much part of the motor industry in those days. Um and I think Despite how it ended up, I think what he was trying to do was was very good, and I think he, I think he would have greatly approved of of Tesla. I think yeah, that would have been his sort of thing. I think he, yeah, I think so. That that would have been what he wanted to be. Really, what he wanted is what DeLorean would have I think if DeLorean had survived, they might well have gone down the electric route at some point. But uh, yeah, it was not to be. But yes, uh, certainly, certainly those two spring to mind straight away. There are no doubt others. Well, that's it. I mean, one good uh, one thing I do like about the, the the DeLorean story is not only was it all of that as well, but the the I remember my dad telling me about the 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 choice in where he chose to put the factory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, that was done largely for financial reasons, um, because he was offered so much money by the British government to to site the factory where he did. It was it sort of didn't help later on because the way the deal was set up, the more people he employed, the more money he got. 
Mm. So, you know, he just started, even though the company was not doing particularly well later on, he just kept employing more and more people because it meant he could claim more and more money from the government. So it was a bit of a one-sided deal. But certainly, uh, yes, putting the factory, putting a, a, a sports car factory in the middle of Belfast was certainly a bold choice, yes. Yeah, it's yeah, definitely a bold choice. And you got to think, it, it probably during that somewhat troubled time, that factory probably brought quite a lot of people together who would ordinarily have done so. They were, yeah, definitely. They they had uh, the Orange Men and the Loyalists and the you know the Catholics and every all the different factions that were involved. They all wanted jobs in the factory, and they Mm. would. um, There was a big effort to not allow religious or political sympathies onto the shop floor, and they did that very well. You know the. The attitude was very much, you know, there's not going to be any pictures of the Pope put up. There's no pictures of the Queen. You know, if you want to put something up, put up a picture of the car, because that's what we're here to do. We're here to build cars, and that's what this is about. And, uh, yeah, even some of DeLorean's biggest opponents at that time felt that, uh, you know, they had no fault to find there at all, because, you know, they, they handled that very nicely. And, yeah, there were guys that would be, on opposite sides of uh, of the debate, shall we say, mm. um, who who worked together on the same squad, building cars together all day, and they all got on really well because they all had a common goal. Then, yes, they they were desperate for the company to succeed. It was the first job that many of them had had for years, and it was a way out of of the situation. So mm. uh, everybody was was rooting for it to to succeed, and Although I don't think any of that factored in DeLorean's choice to put the factory there, it did prolong its existence because, of course, even when there was a change of government, even when Maggie Thatcher came to power, she didn't like the DeLorean project. She certainly didn't like John DeLorean himself. (laughs) But she couldn't pull support from it because it was so useful in the peace process and it would have been so unpopular um, that they they just couldn't have done it. Mm. Um, so she had to go along with it and indeed pour more money into it, even yes. though clearly Maggie was not into giving money to industry. In that case, she she kind of had to. She inherited it and couldn't get rid of it, at mm. least not, not until the head man was arrested. That yes. obviously changed things a bit. Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah, that made it all a bit different. But yeah, it did. It, like I say, it's placement. That was that was that one thing that my dad hung on to. He said it, it was, it it did a lot of good. It did that particular bit of the world at the time. It did. It was very important. Yeah, and although it didn't last long, it it did have a very positive effect. And everybody who worked there really wanted to be there and wanted yeah. it to succeed. I don't think there was anybody there who who didn't really believe in it and. And I don't think it was a belief in the car. I think it was a belief in in the man. Mm. I think they they wanted, you know, they believed the dream, um, yes, you know, the, the the DeLorean dream. They they wanted it to succeed, and they wanted him to to succeed. And he was so different from them. He was so Hollywood, you know, mm-hmm. so tall and the tan skin and the tailored suits, the the supermodel wife. It was it was all there, and he had just had this personality that 
you know, could convince anybody to do anything. Not that they needed a lot of convincing, because it was, you know, it was here was this 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 company with a you know something of an international reputation who was gonna make a big difference, and and it did mm. uh, for a, for a while. It it did make a big difference. It did yeah, and it was a terrible shame that it couldn't be saved. I mean, he always DeLorean himself always claimed that it. Uh, um, the company could have continued, and it was it was Maggie who pulled the plug. I don't think that's entirely fair, <laughs> but mm. you know, maybe it was. I don't think she needed much of an excuse to pull support for it, and I think his arrest uh, in the states was was all they needed. Yeah, that was it. Then the the nail in the coffin, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Even I mean, it after the outcome, yeah, the damage was done. Then. Yeah, it was. But I also think he went too fast. I think he wanted everything too quickly. You know, he was trying to sell a specialist sports car, um, and he was making it in in colossal numbers, really. And the market wasn't there for it. Um, mm, this is true. By the end of eighty one, they were producing eighty cars a day. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a fair <laughs> amount for something quite niche, really. That's a lot of cars. Yeah, and then yeah. I think when the factory when the factory closed they produced nearly 9000 cars but only 3000 had been sold crazy um, isn't it yeah uh yeah indeed um and of course it didn't help that the the very early ones were really rough <laughs> really rough i believe the first i think the first shipment of cars to california which was i think 400 cars they all had to be completely stripped down and rebuilt by the dealers um, in the States because they couldn't be sold. They were so awful wow. um, that they couldn't go to the customers. I think it was 400 hours, 500 hours, something like that per car mm-hmm. uh, to strip it down and rebuild it, um, which when you consider the original build time was only 50 hours from start <laughs> to finish. <laughs> you know, uh, And I don't think a lot of the dealers in the States ever got paid for that. They just took the cars and thought, oh, Christ. <laughs> <laughs> we can't we can't give these out our reputations will be destroyed um but again the way the finance was set up is that a lot of the dealers had invested money in the company uh to become a dealer you had to buy in to it that was how delorean raised the first few million dollars to get it started um even before the british government were involved it, a lot of the money was coming from the U.S. dealers, whom he knew and they trusted him from his days at General Motors. And he came along and said, right, I'm doing a new venture, but I need you to buy into it. And they all thought, oh, well, yeah, because they trusted him. He's done fabulous things for us before. So, yeah, let's, mm-hmm. let's, chuck, yeah. In a few, let's chuck in a few million and see where this goes. And, of course, for a while, you know, people were, were willing to pay a premium for the car until they'd seen it. <laughs> yeah. It's undoing. Yeah, it got better. Um, you know, the later cars were were put together a lot better, but the, certainly the that particularly that first shipment, they they were rough. Mm. But it was an inexperienced workforce. They'd never built a car before. They knew nothing about building cars. They had to learn, and uh, there wasn't a lot of time for learning. The factory was up and running very quickly, and I think even Ford at the time, um, when they were asked, you know, how long does it take to develop a car? A new car, completely new car. They said um, five years, and DeLorean had done it in eighteen months. 
with the help of Lotus, of course, who who took the prototype and turned it into a production model. But Lotus, whilst they got the engineering, a lot of the engineering problems sorted, Lotus had no experience of mass producing cars and DeLorean wanted mass production. Mm. He didn't want a low volume run. This was going to be big. This was yeah. this was full scale mass production. And again, it came back to the money in that he was trying to later in 81, he was trying to float the company on the stock market. So he needed his company to look busy and successful. So even yeah. though sales were falling, he increased production to try and uh, gauge more more investment. So it was yeah, it was it became a bit of a vicious circle in the end. Mm. Um in that the cars weren't selling, the quality was not best, but he he needed more money. So therefore production had to go up and employ more people because that meant you get more money from the government and it just cycled out of control until Christmas not Christmas eighty once, I think it was spring eighty two when the company first ran out of money and he had to ask for a bailout to pay the wages. Yeah, the the wheels were starting to come off there. That's the wheels an were awful analogy. That's a terrible <laughs> analogy, but yes. Um, but by that point, he was employing nearly three thousand people. Mm. Build and cars that weren't selling. Building cars that weren't selling. Yeah, mm. that was the problem. Um, had he gone slower, and you know tried to build it up, it, it may it may have succeeded. Yes, um, it may well have succeeded. Had he taken the time to iron out some more of the problems and get the build quality a bit better and accepted that you weren't going to get General Motors numbers for a few years, you know, it could have worked. It wasn't it wasn't a terrible car. It was easily comparable to well, certainly comparable to something like a TVR of the time or a Lotus of the time. <laughs> um to be fair. I mean for the first couple of months in the states it outsold the Porsche 911 Jeez. because there was such Crazy. a hunger for it yeah such a hunger for it people really wanted it because it was something different mm. i think i'm right in saying it outsold the mercedes sl as well well bloody hell they love for that the, in america not for long <laughs> but but it for a little while when it was first launched and people were willing to pay over the odds to get one they were paying over the sticker price. Oh, okay. So secure one. Oh, a bit of a queue jump. Yeah. People really wanted it. It was because it was marketed very well, particularly in the States. Mm. Well, like and, you say, it uh, comes down to the visuals as well. It still looks futuristic to this day. It does. It it does. It still looks fantastic. And you see one in the sun with the, the bare uh, stainless steel. I mean, it is very striking. Mm. It's a very striking looking car. It's just a pity that sort of engineering didn't didn't back it up, but mm. it certainly uh, is not a terrible car. There were there were worse cars being produced <laughs> in larger numbers at that oh, time. Oh, good heavens, British Leyland. Um, <laughs> well, there you sorry, are. Sorry, what was that? There you are. You go and you go and buy a Jag XJS of the era that had been loosely screwed together by some people that really weren't interested from the cheapest possible components. It, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. You, I mean, we laugh, but um, it really was the case. It really was the case. I'm sorry to say. So yeah, it's um, it's easy to look at it now, and you know, and a lot of people do call it, you know, a piece of crap. But yeah, it it had problems, but. 
it was in the landscape of cars of its ilk available at that time. Um, I think it held up reasonably well, actually. <laughs> yeah, particularly yeah. against the lower volume stuff like the Lotus Esprit or you know TVR, whatever it would have been at the time. You know that kind of, or certainly as you say, anything from British Leyland. You know, it was not, it was not that bad. Uh, no, 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 not at all. No. And had they gone, had they gone a bit slower, it might have worked. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I come back to I do think what he was originally trying to achieve was admirable. He was looking at things in a way that no one else in the car industry at that time was looking at. He was looking at safety, fuel efficiency, sustainability. You know, that was part of the reason for not painting it was that, you know, that was that was better environmentally. You know, mm. crash crash resistant under structure, which um, didn't make it into the production car. But if you look at the prototype and all the things, I mean, that had airbags. That, I mean, that was unheard of at the time. Yeah, that's that's way ahead of its time, isn't it? Way ahead. I mean, none of that made it into the production car, but which was partly down to to Lotus, who said, "Well, you'll never mass produce this. It's too complicated. We've got to get <laughs> all this all this crash resistant understructure and these airbags and all this gas. All got to go." Oh yeah, you um, don't need that. Don't need any of that. And one by one, all the things that he wanted it to be got eroded away by Lotus, which was a mm. shame, because he wasn't keeping an eye on the engineering. He was off in New York managing money and not looking at what they were doing to the car, which was a shame. Again, mm. if it had been done on a smaller scale and done slower, we may still see DeLoreans on the road today. Yes, we could have had many DeLorean. We could have, and it could have been good. They were preparing a second model. Um, in fact, I believe even the tracks in the factory had been laid out for it, um, which was going to be a, a five-door saloon or five door hatch effectively um yeah that because there, there were a few mentioned there, there aren't there a few concept numbers kicking out there? there's a 24 or 44 and something else yeah there are some there are some drawings of what would have been the dmc 24 yeah the first car being the dmc 12 and mm. that where those numbers come from has been debated but um dmc 12 some people say, oh, well, that's because that was the target price, $12,000. Other people say, no, it's because it was car number one and it was two-door. And then the DMC24 was going to be car number two and it was four-door. Um, okay. That seems more plausible than setting the model number around the price. Uh, that seems a bit daft. That seems a bit daft, especially as it eventually listed at over $25,000. <laughs> which, you know, sounds fine now. Um, yeah, the, the then, good God. At the time, yes, that was very expensive by the time it hit the market. It was over double his target price, which, again, was partly down to Lotus and not knowing how to prepare a car for mass production. And there were a lot of problems in it, which, again, is not unusual. We all know you know, problems are still resident in cars even when they go into mass production. You know, it, it needed to be right, and it, it wasn't. Doors were a big problem. The weight distribution being wrong was a big problem. You know, putting the weight of the engine behind the rear wheels. Way off, isn't it? Way off, which again was down to design in that they wanted to be able to fit a full set of golf clubs in it. And the only way to do that was to put them inside behind the rear seats, which of course meant the engine had to be pushed backwards. The game of golf has a lot to answer for in car design. It does. There's a lot of cars gone slightly wonky in order to fit a full set of golf clubs in them, <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid to say. Yeah. There's some Jaguars that suffer from that problem as well. Mm. 
the slightly elongated and bulbous boot of the 1990s XK, I believe, is precisely down. Oh, to, yeah, to fit some bats in there. Fit, yes. some, fit some golf bats in there, yeah. But that was mm. certainly the problem with the why the engine was banished to the back in the DeLorean, was because that was the only place to fit golf clubs. It was inside. The electrical system wasn't man enough for all the gadgets that were on it. Everything on it was electric. That was yeah, the yeah. thing. But the uh, the electrical system couldn't cope with the load, and it, it would flatten the battery quite quickly, which, of course, they used to great effect in Back to the Future. Oh, in, yeah. The Bang on keeps, accuracy. The car keeps conking out. Yes. Mm. And, of course, with all the extra gubbins that Doc Brown's loaded on it, I mean, who knows? It's, you know. That's it. I mean, it, we we know exactly how much electricity the uh, flux capacitor needs. You think, you're not going to get that from a 12-volt battery, are you? You're not. No, you're really not. Mm. Um, yeah, there were a lot of things that needed to be sorted out before it went into mass production that weren't. And uh, But that wasn't actually what killed it in the end. You know, I think there was an expectation that it there would be a, a, a lashback from quality problems, but in fact, that's not what stopped it. It was no, the, not at all. the winter of, of uh, 81, or early 82, sorry, um, that... Uh, that basically stopped car sales in the United States almost overnight, and the company ran out of money very quickly. And uh, so, yeah, bizarrely, in the end, it was the weather that that put it to, put put a stop to it. Strange, isn't it? Um, and then but, he got yeah. then he got arrested, desperately trying to raise money to keep it all going. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, that was the end of that. That was the end of that. But still, an exceptionally fine choice for an automotive hero. Yeah, definitely. I would certainly, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's a story I've been fascinated in for a long time and um, have researched in nauseating detail and even met a few people connected to it over the years at mm. car shows. And I'm, I was a member of the owners club for quite a long time. It's, uh, there's a lot of people still around who, who worked in the factory because of course it wasn't, relatively speaking, it's not that long ago. No, not really. In the grand um, scheme of things, no. No, indeed. There's a chap called Barry Wills who was ended up as managing director of the factory. He's written a couple of books on the subject that are worth seeking out. He also has a Facebook group called DeLorean Historians. Um, little, <laughs> little rhyme there. <laughs> nice, um, I like that. Fascinating group, though, full of information, documents, photographs from that era. And uh, he is extremely knowledgeable. He's been in a couple of the do documentaries that have been done in mm -hmm. recent years yeah fascinating guy he worked for jaguar for a while uh, as well but his time at delorean short though it was um yeah it was fascinating quite a few anecdotes to come out of that one mm, definitely worth checking out the facebook group splendid a lot of good stuff there but yeah i i would say john delorean would be would be up there for me well that's fine it's an excellent excellent choice i have to say really mm. uh thank you well it's a captivating story like you say it is, and there's always there's always new wrinkles to it. You can always uh, learn a bit more about what what might have gone on. Um, mm. uh, it was mm. an international story, and you know there were so many different facets of it, and everyone's got an opinion on it. Um, yes, and every everyone thinks they know something about it, and but until you actually research it and find out what really went on, um, there's it's, there's a lot to it. There is a lot to it. Yeah, there is a lot to it. It is fascinating. And I think it's interesting now, I think there were three or four movies have been made about it in the last couple of years. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. We've had a few, few that have made it to cinema. Some bit of television, anything? Yeah, yeah there was a BBC documentary just a few weeks ago mm. um, on it. The best documentary was one that the BBC did years and years ago called Car Crash. Oh, I remember that. Car Crash, the DeLorean story. Mm. That that is superb. That's the best documentary that that has been done on the subject. It was very impartial. They mm. interviewed a lot of people involved in it. It looked at the car and the people, whereas mm. a lot of the other documentaries have focused on one particular aspect, but that one was a good overview. It wasn't biased in any way, and it was the only one where they actually interviewed John DeLorean himself because uh, he was still yes. alive when that was made. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That, it, yeah, I agree that that was the best one. There's, but I, I think I've seen them all. Like you said, there's been a few, but yeah, that was that was mm. a standout one. That one. If if someone's looking for a, a documentary to watch on the DeLorean saga, I would I would I would seek out uh, the BBC car crash because that was, as you say, that was by far the best one. Mm. Um, there's also a book which, again, focuses on the car and the people called Stainless Steel Illusion. That's definitely worth seeking out. I do have a copy of that. Um, I read it cover to cover it's uh uh it looks at the car from the factory from a great technical detail but it also looks at the background of a lot of the people that are involved in it yeah stainless steel illusion it's on amazon um that's also worth a look oh an excellent recommendation then mm, i think so yes it's uh, it's it's one automotive topic that uh i can as you fully gathered can talk about in nauseating detail <laughs> well I don't mind a bit of that because it's interesting. It's all good stuff. Yeah, yeah so I like could that. Do a whole podcast just on that. Well, <laughs> uh, if anything, we're, we're going to come back to that, aren't we? It's going to run and run that one. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But and don't even cars. get me started on the time machine because then we'll just be away. Then I don't, I'm going to put a lid on you there. Then yes, <laughs> not, not, not now. In, not now. Let's not get into that. There's a time for that. Yes, we'll set you off another day on that one. <laughs> yeah, I think so. No, that's fine. No, because I've been thinking about my automotive heroes. Mm. And I did, I did scribble down a bit of a list. Okay. And there's a theme. Is there? Yes. It's all motorsport. I thought it might be. Mm. I thought it might be. That's where my knowledge is probably weakest. Well, I, I think I've picked some well-known names, I think. Particularly okay. in the world of rallying, oh, and, yeah. and growing up with that, my dad was a big fan, so it's inevitably going to rub off a bit. Yeah, true. And I remember Colin McRae sort of coming of age. Yeah, as as we were watching him on the TV, those the the early nineties in his Subaru days of uh, right where the. the he started out in the Legacy and then went on to the Impreza. Um, yeah, he's a, ma- a massive standout. I remember the '95 season that that he won with all of the all of the saga that surrounded that. Hmm. It was that thing of going, we have to be in front of the television. We couldn't be there <laughs> for whatever right. reason it was, but we we had to know what was going on. Yeah, yeah that that Sunday, everything else stopped. <laughs> because we had to know if he'd done it. Because I mean, I, I recall that 
from the times from the Friday and Saturday where it was just obliterating Carlos Sainz mm. after the after the previous rally, which was in Spain, I believe, and Pro Drive, who ran the Subaru team, had, yeah. had, had issued team rules that they said, I think, I'm sure it was whoever was leading at the end of Saturday out of the two, of the two Subaru team members, McRae and Sainz, they said, we're issuing team orders on Sunday. You hold position. We're, right. we're on for a one-two here. Do not cock this up. Uh, okay. Yeah. And, and McRae, he was quite young at the time, did not like that. And went out and just did colossally fast times. At which point Subaru actually sent some team members onto the stages to slow him down. They were right. on the side of the road waving at him to slow down. And I think there was a point in which they said, look, if you don't tow the line, you, you're not going to have a job. Right. So, and he did, and I think the way that they got round it, that he there was a slight delay to his car leaving the service area, which meant there was a time penalty, and that was that was job done. And he wasn't happy about it. And they got to they got to the UK for the for the final rally of the year, and he just came out, and no one could touch him. Right. Yeah. It just obliterated everyone, and just won it solely, just completely on merit. Right, yeah. It's got got to be admired, and you think, well, he... some people say, oh, he was a bit of a flawed driver because he didn't know anything other than completely on the limit. But <laughs> Yes. But that's why we like it. Yes, of course, yeah. A full commitment. Yeah. Well, that yeah. was it. His, his famous mantra was, if in doubt, flat out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I know a few people who apply that in other situations. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That does ring true in all sorts of walks of life. <laughs> it does. I remember off the back of that as well. Another another big rallying hero is Richard Burns. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just again for the same. Just such a great person who was incredibly talented as well. Yeah. And that 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 one year I did actually attend that. The, the showdown year between the McRae and Burns in 2001. Oh, that was yeah. Honestly, you think this is a Welsh forest and yet it's rammed. Yeah. And yeah, that, yeah. That, that morning we were all up at the crack of dawn on the Friday morning and, and then the news came through that McRae had just gone too flat out. And yes. obliterated the car, which I think was on the, either the second or third stage. Right. And that was that was basically it. All all Richard Burns had to do was finish. Yeah. And and he was always going to because he was cool, calm, and collected. Yeah. He was, quite. He, he was a thinker. Whereas McRae, don't know, leave the brains. Just went for it. Yeah. yeah. Two massively interesting takes on a ludicrous sport. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Incredibly sad that neither of them. I was going to uh, say that neither of them are with us. Yeah. So sad. Life on the edge, I suppose. Yeah. But, um, but well, well, certainly for McRae. I mean, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Poor Richard Burns. It was that was. Uh, am I right in thinking that was brain tumor? Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. It was nothing to do with driving. No. No. Not at no, all. No. 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 
not 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 the way that you would have wanted that to end. And no, no, not very, at all, not at all. No, um, a few other names that definitely hit the list as well from the world of endurance racing. Uh, Tom Christensen, who, right, uh, the most successful driver ever at Le Mans, winning in various vehicles. He had the obviously his big big fame came from driving for Audi in their various vehicles along the, along the way. I mean, he did the uh, they started out with the R8, uh, right? Then, yes, then the R10, when they went on to. God, that was was that the first diesels or was the R8? I think it was. Yeah, I think Audi certainly had the first diesel. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember which which one was the first one? Um, yeah, because it was very much uh, Peugeot and Audi against one another with the diesels. Yes, well, they were the um, only two doing it, weren't they, at the time? That, that, that's it. Um, yeah. um, I'm right in thinking he had some earlier wins. I'm sure he had a win with Porsche, actually. It was probably, I think it must have been the TWR prepared Porsche at the time. Ooh. Very right. nice. Okay. Very yeah, nice yeah. Uh, then he also won in the Bentley. Right. Uh, remember that it was 2003. It was an anniversary year for Bentley. And obviously that being a, a, a brand within Aldi, they essentially, if the story goes, if you scratch far enough between beneath the surface, it's basically an Audi underneath with a right. fancy body on the top. But okay. Yeah. Well, that it. would make sense, wouldn't it? That would be logical. That's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And ultimately, he's won it nine times. Wow. Right. Yeah. That's... We better check that. But yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's it, it's nine overall wins. I was so excited as well. Back was it 2015? Actually, got to meet him. Wow, really? We we were we were at Le Mans. Uh, he'd he'd retired in 2014. Uh, we'd we all we'd what we'd done. We'd gone to the museum, which is right by the main entrance at Le Mans at the circuit. And we'd we'd gone round, and they they've got some. It's it's basically pornography in there. <laughs> yes. And we'd we'd all, we'd finished, and as with any good museum. There's a carefully positioned gift shop. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Well, they wouldn't be following the basic rules if there wasn't. No. And can you imagine how good a gift shop is at the Le Mans Museum? Oh, I imagine there's some treats in there. Yeah, just a bit. Um, a few things to de- design to ruin you financially. Oh, good heavens, yes. There's nothing reasonably priced in there, I'm afraid. No, there won't be. No. no. Uh, we, were, we were milling about in there looking at things we couldn't afford. Yes. And... Um, <laughs> And there, there was in the museum. They've got a, a function room, and yeah. the people piled out. And in amongst all the people, there was a group of our friends and much elbow nudging. And there's Tom Christensen. There, there's Tom Christensen. Uh, much to the excitement of my friend James, who completely lost his shit. <laughs> I said, "Well, I'm going to go. Should we go and say hello?" He's like, "No, I don't know if I can." I was like, I think we'll be all right. I think he's human like the rest of us. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. But he, he was lovely, actually. Really nice chap. These people often are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, quite a short arse. I'll give him that. Oh, well, fair dues. That just means he but, can fit in more cars, doesn't it? I was going to say, having looked at some of those among cars, they do look a bit of a squeeze. So, That's yeah, being an a... advantage to him. Yes, in being oh. a short house. Yes. 
But looking back, looking back at that where we met him, and there's a there's a photo of it taking place, and thinking, was he nice or was he just slightly intimidated by James's attire? Oh, he'd, no. For that particular day, he'd worn a t-shirt with the arms ripped off and some <laughs> scabby shorts. It's like, was he just in fear for his life and thought he better be nice? I don't know. He thought, oh, there's a yobbo coming over. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, hello. <laughs> yeah, I'll shake hands. That'd be fine. Pretty yeah. sure go away then. <laughs> yes, yeah, we did Might shake hands. But even if that, it still worked. So <laughs> Yeah, that's the main <laughs> thing. Yeah. Still did, take that. Yeah, James did get a handshake. And we, he was gleaming. He's like, I'm not going to wash it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> good <laughs> sake, man. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> oh, silly boy good choices there chat both both yeah both very poor all very prominent um, mm. in their fields yes and and something of legends in their fields well that's it yeah I, it just rings true like i've got well if anything that's motorsport i've got all the time in the world for it so you are big on that mm. it's interesting you've chosen from motorsport and i've chosen from the world of manufacturing i have a couple more can but, i guess uh, one <laughs> yes I'm going to have a punt this didn't go so well when it was Jaguar concept cars but I'm going to have a punt and I'm going to guess one of your potential automotive heroes and I'm going okay. to say Ian Callum yes oh I got one right you got one right I didn't think that's what you were going to say okay. actually but yes Ian Callum definitely I think a, a genuinely nice bloke um, who has done some amazing work over the years mm. Aston Martin DB7. Need you say more? Well, that's it. Um, I mean, he could have penned that and went, I'm done. He could have. Yeah. Yeah, he could have, and he'd still be a legend. But yeah, charted the complete change of direction for, for Jaguar in whenever that was, 2007, I think, when they launched the XF. And from that yeah, point yeah. on, but, you know, Ford and others over the years, there's a fascinating two-part interview on the Late Break show with him um, that's worth uh, seeking out, which I know you've... Um, Thoroughly enjoyed that. He didn't He yeah. didn't like the chairs, did he? Didn't refuse. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sitting in that. <laughs> yeah. mm. What do you think this is? <laughs> Bring the eames in. Mm. <laughs> that did yes. give me a chuckle. Very much him, yes, uh, yeah. Indeed, another name from Jaguar, but not only Jaguar. Um, mm. But he's, yeah, he would definitely be up there, and a thoroughly nice bloke by all accounts. Mm. And now doing his own thing, finally. What a great effect as well with with Callum Design. Yeah, great effect. The new, the the van, the Callum Vanquish that he's done is a stunning looking thing. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's subtle, but an half work, isn't it? Yeah, well, of course, he designed the original. As he, he said in the interview, he he wanted to do things to it that were not possible when he was designing it as a mass production car. They had to use Jaguar mirrors and they had to use, you know, all <laughs> bits and things from from Ford, you know, lots of Ford switchgear and things that he that were forced on him because it made sense from a manufacturing point of view. Oh, oh and the, as I can speak from experience, the dreadful Volvo sat-nav that is in those. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Well, again, it was all part of the Ford group at the time. Yeah, that was it. And Oh, God, I, I hate that system. Yes. It 
comes yes, on I've and tells you not good. Yes. nothing of use. No, <laughs> completely pointless information. Right at the minute, because it's so old that still runs on DVDs. If the DVD oh. gets, if it can't read the DVD, you can't make the screen go away. So I've got steering wheel buttons for it. And if you accidentally nudge one, the screen comes up and goes, oh, your DVD's dirty. And it will tell you that for the rest of your motorway journey. Oh, no. Until you anyway, stop and turn yeah, it off. If you stop for a pee and turn the car off and you can make it all go away, then. Oh, it's worth buying another DVD off eBay. Oh, no, I'm not that motivated, to be honest, mate. No, fair dues. Um, so, yeah, Ian Callum uh, needs no introduction, really, but uh, his work over the decades has just been incredible. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a duff one there. Yeah. Um, and I think when asked what his favourite design was, uh, XF Sport Brake, which um, is pretty cool because I had one. So you did. And he singled out the first generation sport brake, which mine was second generation XF, but first generation sport um, sport brake was his favorite more so than the current one. And uh, yes, an excellent, uh, excellent piece of estate car design. But I would say DB7 has got to be, I mean, you you know, what can you say? It's just. Yeah, I'm not, I can't be, I'm not even going to argue for the sake of it. That is, that is the one. It just is. Yeah, absolutely. And someone else who we won't dwell on because he needs no dwelling on, um, who I think would probably be my my fourth and, and final automotive hero would be Elon Musk, who I thought was going to be your guess. Uh, no, 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 because it's one of those things. You probably, uh, I would have assumed you'd been on the fence with Mr. Musk. Because... I think he's a bit of a dick. Yeah, Since I mean, specifically automotive terms, because he has turned an industry on its head pretty much yeah. single handedly, I think that's what earns him a place on the list. Yeah, I mean, love him or hate him, believe in electric cars or not believe in electric cars, he has changed the industry. Whether you wanted it or not, whether you think it's a good thing or not, it has happened. Mm. <laughs> there would not be electric cars from Jaguar or BMW or Mercedes or any of these people had Tesla not existed. It just wouldn't have happened. Um, no, and He has forced the issue and made it happen. And yeah. for that reason alone, you know, whether you agree in it or not, it, it's a fact. It's there. <laughs> He's done it. Uh, and I think, uh, uh, yeah. But I think a lot of these people, you know, like I think Steve Jobs was a dick. But he's—it's a love-hate thing, isn't it? It is. You don't have to deal with them on a day-to-day basis. You can, you can appreciate their achievements from a distance. Quite. And I think being a disruptor at that scale, you kind of have to be a bit of a prat. (laughs) Well, that's it. You couldn't, you couldn't do it otherwise. If you had the bit in your head that cared about people's feelings, you're you're never going to achieve like that, are you? No, you'll never do it. You have to be incredibly single-minded and incredibly focused, um, and willing to go without sleep for days on end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You do need that that ruthless element, don't you? You do. You have to not care. I mean, Bill Gates in his early days was the same. Mm. Um, all these people who get to that level and who change industries uh, are like that, and uh, Elon is no exception. What he's done, uh, he's changed the world mm. as much as Steve Jobs did. 
you know, yeah, that was it with iPods and iPhones. This is the same thing with cars. Yeah, it is. The difference is that Jobs was not an engineer. He had other people working out how these things were going to happen. Mm. Um, but he knew exactly how to sell it. Oh. Elon, Elon's kind of the other way around. Elon's not that interested in selling and he's not that interested in running a company. He's He gets excited and fired up by the engineering. I'm the same, really, in my professional life. I don't really run the company. I have, you know, my business partner does that. I, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm into the tech. <laughs> yeah. Elon's the same. He's out on the shop floor. He's not in the boardroom. No. He's out on the shop floor programming the machines and deciding on, on what materials they're going to use. He's not he's not in the boardroom or out in the showrooms. He's He's on the factory floor. Hearing you explaining your reasoning, I think, I think it's a, an exceptionally valid choice, and probably, I don't know, the most the most relevant at the moment as well. Certainly relevant for the moment. The other the others that I've mentioned uh, certainly I admire, and all have had a significant impact in their industries. But I think only Elon has turned the industry on its head. Yeah, and, I think, and the rest of the industry has kind of allowed him to do it. They spent, all of them, spent nigh on 10 years laughing at and poking fun at Tesla and Elon and saying, oh, it's ridiculous, it'll never work, Um, it's all stupid. And by doing that, um, they gave them a 10-year head start. Well, sorry. That's now becoming a bit of a problem, (laughs) yes. Well, Um, no sympathy. (laughs) Well, quite, no, exactly, Um, indeed. Um, for the most part, I think they've, they've only got themselves to blame. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I think for that reason alone, uh, he, he, yeah, I'd probably put him top of my list. I admire the others for what they've done, but for him, yeah, he really has changed changed an industry and changed the world, um, which not many people get to do. So no, it's no. Quite- and now he's trying to take us to another world. So yep, not to again, and really not to be snubbed all the efforts in all the places it's good yeah it's i i still don't understand really how he's been able to achieve so much because he's still only 40 what is he 46 47 um oh isn't it he's he's crammed a lot in in that time yeah because mm. you know paypal as well yeah. you know online transactions and things were very much again he changed that industry um oh. created an industry really with that, there was nobody else doing that kind of stuff before PayPal. There's, there's still no strong rival for it, even now. No, not really. No, we all still use PayPal because it's it's there and it's just easy. Yeah, well, absolutely. Mm. Um, I know I mean, you you I know, know that as a web developer more than than most uh, how um, how widely it is used. Yeah, I mean, people love it. I mean, as a web developer, I hate it, but yeah. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> Everything he does is kind of last. I mean, he's not someone to bet against. <laughs> no. Um, no, no. A lot of people have lost a lot of money trying to do that. <laughs> yes. No. Yeah. An excellent choice. Yeah. And, I'm surprised I didn't think of that sooner, actually. But um, I'll yeah. tell you what. I've 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 got another one. Oh, very good. That we should it should have been more obvious to me. I mean, I know we've said automotive, and that's an, an ambiguous term, really. It's a wide 
topic. It's about, yes. um, and I know you're going to hate me for it, but I'm going to bring up someone who involves is involved with two wheels rather than four. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but again, still from the world of motorsport. No, no, you said automotive. That it all it all yeah. counts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but Valentino Rossi. Oh well, yeah, okay, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Even I know who that is. <laughs> yeah, See, that's how wide that is. Because even the top level of motorcycling is still, if you compared it to its equivalent in cars, Formula One, the Formula One names are, are synonymous with day-to-day life. The, the yes, I think they are, they're almost household names, aren't they? Yeah. 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 The, the the motorcycle names are not, except his. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm not interested in bikes at all, and I know who he is. <laughs> so that what, says it, doesn't it? Yeah, what, what he's done for that sport is is ridiculous. He, um, because he started in that sport in 96 in the support classes, and the top class at the time was being dominated by an Australian called McDoohan. Right. Um, phenomenal rider. Uh, he he just destroyed the competition. No one could get close to him. Hmm. He was he was on a different level. Uh, but there was some uh, some injuries in early '99, and that he just he called it a day. Hmm. And Rossi appeared in the top class in 2000, and and performed really quite well. Didn't yeah. Well, not didn't win the championship, but really quite well. But then 2001, that was it. That he took the bull by the horns and it just destroyed everyone right yeah and and continued to do so even as the sport has changed he's he he single-handedly made it more sellable because of the person he is rather the yes he could ride and exceptionally well but he transformed it because of the person he is Yes, quite. So it's about the personality. Yeah, that, that's it, and that—that's the thing. He—it's it, not. I—I I hate to use the term, but I mean, it's, in Formula One, it's a bit—it's a bit too corporate, and there, you think that everyone's saying what they should do and towing the company line. Well, that's, that's certainly the case now. I think, yeah, but it's still not the case in motorcycle racing. They're all a bit—they're all a bit loose cannon still, and he still is. And you think. Having started in that paddock in 1996, he's still racing to this day. It's still there in the. He's still of part of it, yeah. yeah. And that—that's what's he now? He's uh, 42. Right. Yeah. That, that, that's unheard of in in top top. Yeah, sure. Racing. Yeah. It's the fact that he can draw a crowd just because of who he is before he's even put a leg over a bike. Yes. Yeah. He's yeah. Like you say, even if you're not interested in bikes, you'll, you'll know who he is. Yeah. A worthy choice. Yeah. A worthy choice. Yeah. Well up there for me because it, I've watched pretty much all of his career and, and watched all the documentaries and read all the books. How, and he's Italian. He go. How, it's not possible to be that cool. <laughs> it shouldn't be allowed. <laughs> no, you, he's got it all going on there, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, and yeah, his, his girlfriend's a model. You think what? What is? Uh, oh dear. It's, yeah. How, how do you say? What has happened here? 
Yes, how have all these things come together? Mm. Some of the some of the things he did with his rivals were fantastic. Uh, he had like bitter rivalries over the years, and one of my particular favourites was with another uh, another competitor of his, um, Sete Gibernel, who's right. a Spaniard, and they 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 got on okay, but then Gibernel became a serious rival, and. There was one particular race that Rossi lost to him, and he he was really not happy. Right. In a press conference, he said, Gibernel will never win a race again. Oh, that's a bold statement. It's a bold statement, but it was true. <laughs> right. He never won a race ever again. He knew. Somehow he knew. Somehow he knew, and he would do everything in his power to make sure that he was in front of him. Wow. And he, that was it. Psychological warfare was ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. You had to play, you had to play it. Mm. Yeah, massively Im- impressive sort of thing. But that's what people want, though. People like to see a rivalry. You don't want to see people fighting for the win of a race, but then being all chummy afterwards. No, that's not going to get people tuning in, is it? Yeah. No, that's no You good. need a bit of theatre to go with it. Yeah, it's true. Mm. True, and that provided it. Yeah, mm. yeah, worthy choice, worthy choice. It's interesting that you've chosen all people from motorsport, and I've chosen all people from manufacturing. Mm. Mine just all harks back to childhood. Yes, and, yeah, and racing being on at the weekend. Yeah, see, I wasn't exposed to that, and I've never been interested particularly. Um, and I guess you know so much of what we do and don't like is born of childhood mm, definitely yeah you identify with it it's nostalgic isn't it and it, it takes you back there you know that's a perfectly valid reasons perfectly uh worthy choices well i think uh, that's probably enough of that for this week uh, check us out on uh, all the various social medias and things uh, thank you very much for listening